Father, today as we come to Genesis 20 and uh, we see Abraham take this major fall uh, in his life, him and Sarah, Lord, and, and it, what's strange about it is that it's the same fall that he took years earlier, Lord. And, and so much like us, Lord, how we continue to make the same mistakes. We continue to, to the mistakes that cause us to fall over and over and over and over again. It's as if, Lord, we're going around a mountain and we can't stop. We just keep going around that mountain and around that mountain and around that mountain. So what, Lord, we would like to learn from this text today and, and uh, we would like for you to teach us is how we can stop those never-ending trials, those trials that, that are of our own making because of our lack of faith. Lord, so I just ask today that you, you as we look at this story uh, in Genesis, that you, you uh, teach us how we can apply this to our lives and our own failures. Uh, Lord, we know that there's victory in Jesus Christ, that you, you uh, don't want... Uh, your children to be living lives of failure. So show us just how Abraham uh, got out of his problem and, and uh, Lord, how you work in our trials and how you can get us out of our problems. And, and uh, I just ask that you teach us these lessons today by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. It, when the book of Deuteronomy begins... Over in chapter number one, I'm, I'm gonna, we're, I told you to turn to Deuteronomy to start today. The Israelites are just short of the promised land. They're going to finally make it in. But before they go in, Moses is going to give them some, a lot of advice in the book of Deuteronomy and before he dies because he's not going to get to go into the promised land. But he begins the book of De- Deuteronomy with a scathing rebuke of the Israelites. And that's what I want to look at today before we go to our text of Genesis because it has great application to what we'll be looking at in the life of Abraham. But look with me in the book of Deuteronomy and I'm going to read just these first two verses and that's all we're going to be looking at here. But look at what it says here. It says, These are the words which Moses spoke to all of Israel on this side of the Jordan, in the wilderness, on the wilderness side of the Jordan. They were about to go into the promised land. In the plain opposite Suf. Between Paran and Tophi, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dishahab. It And listen to what he says. This is the rebuke. He says it is, a, it is 11 days journey from Horab, or Mount Sinai, by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. And Kadesh Barnea sat right there on the east side of the Jordan, and it was actually their gate into the promised land. They'd been to Kadesh Barnea once before. So what Moses is saying to them, I mean, he says it's an 11-day journey. In other words, it's only an 11-day journey from Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, uh, to Kadesh Barnea, which is right there on the south side of the promised land. But it took us 40 years to make that journey. And why did it take 40 years? Because of our unbelief. 
the unbelief that began at Kadesh Barnea the first time when, when they sent the 12 spies into the promised land because they didn't truly believe in the Lord. And it lasted for 40 years. That state of unbelief that Israel was in, they were in that state for 40 years. And so instead of going into the promised land after an 11-day journey, they went around and around Mount Horeb for 40 years. And the whole time they were going around that mountain over and over again, they were only an 11-day journey from the promised land. Now, why, why would God have done that to them, got them so close, but not let them go in? What he was trying to do was to teach them to trust him. And if you read the rest of the, the Pentateuch and you read about the Exodus and you read about the Israelites wandering in the desert, they never learned that lesson. They never learned to trust the Lord. They murmured and complained against the Lord the whole 40 years they wandered around and around and around that mountain. And they perished in the wilderness. They perished. They never made it in. They were so close, but they never made it in. Now, there's a spiritual lesson there. Because there are a lot of Christians or people who call themselves Christians who live their lives in the wilderness and they never truly learn to trust the Lord. They trust in themselves. And whenever trials come, they, 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 don't, they don't trust in the Lord. And so they keep going around that same mountain over and over and over and over again. And so they perish. So here's Moses. And he's talking to a whole new generation of Israelites. And they're going to go into the land. No matter what happens, they're about, the Lord's about to take them into the promised land. They're going in. But what he's trying to warn them, he's trying to tell them this. You can go into the promised land, but you're going to have mountains in the promised land. And you can keep going around and around those mountains. And you can be living in the promised land and living in the wilderness at the same time because you never conquer those mountains. And you continue to live a life of failure. And that's the lesson that the Lord wants to teach Abraham in today's study. It's a simple lesson. It's a lesson that we all need to learn, to trust the Lord. And so he's going to send Abraham around a mountain again, the exact same mountain that he faced 23 years earlier. You remember the story in chapter 12. There was a famine in the land. He had just gotten into the promised land. And there was a famine in the land. And, and instead of asking God what God wanted him to do, instead of trusting God for food, he headed south and he went all the way down to Egypt. And what happened when he was down in Egypt? He told Pharaoh that, Pharaoh, that uh, Sarah was his sister and Pharaoh took Sarah into his harem. Now, what was going to happen to the great promises that God had made to Abraham uh, if God had left that situation the way Abraham had 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 put them in, the situation that he had put them in, that, that, those promises would have been voided at that point. There, there wouldn't have been no child of promise. And so it, let's go back to Genesis now. In Genesis chapter 20, uh, actually, let's go back to where we were last week. Abraham sees, he goes up to the place, he's up in Hebron, and he goes up to the place where he had encountered the Lord, and he watches as Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed. 
And when Sodom and Gomorrah, and those, and not only Sodom and Gomorrah, all those five cities on the Jordanian plain. And when those cities go up in smoke, his livelihood went up in smoke too. Because more than likely, he was selling a good bit of his livestock to those cities. And so, uh, uh, he's thinking to himself, what am I going to do for a living now? Well, he had heard about the prosperity of Gerar. Gerar is all the way down south of the Negev, the whole Negev, the southern part of Israel, all the way down to the bottom, right before you get to Egypt. And there was a little city-state down there, and it sat on one of the major highways uh, in the ancient world, and so it was a very prosperous city, and everybody could sell their goods there. So he says to himself, he says to himself, I'm going to go down and go to Gerar. Now, what should he have done at this point? He sees God destroying these cities, and he sees his livelihood in his mind going up in smoke. What should he have done at that point? He should have trusted the Lord. He should have sought the Lord and gotten direction from the Lord, but he doesn't do that. Uh, he's had 23 years to grow in faith. And, and I got to tell you, when I'm reading up to chapter 20, I'm thinking, what a great man of faith Abraham is. But then he, he fails to trust God and he goes almost all the way down to Egypt, to Gerar, and, and it's going to cause him the exact same problems that it caused him when he went down to Egypt. In fact, these two stories, the story in chapter 12 and the story we get in chapter 20, are so similar that liberal scholars over the centuries have said that they're the same story written by two different authors. Uh, uh, that one of the authors just got the 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 kingdom's wrong and the king's wrong, but otherwise it's the exact same story. And it does look like the exact same story. But we know better, don't we? We know that the Bible is inerrant, the inerrant word of God, and there are no mistakes in the Bible. So that begs the question, why would God put these seemingly identical stories, just with different names, why would he put this in the Bible? We had already seen the story in chapter 12. I mean, he, made, he, he could have said he went down there and he made a mistake and that was it. But he makes the exact same mistake. And so why does God put this in the Bible? To show us that even the great men of the Bible weren't past repeating their mistakes. Any of you ever repeat mistakes? I, I see most of you are shaking your head no. Uh, lying, of course, but that's the mistake you're repeating. <laughs> Yeah, we all make the same mistake. We all seem to go around that mountain over and over and over again. And, and so, uh, and, and by mountains, I'm talking about that trial, that same trial that keeps popping up because of some mistake that we've made, some lapse in faith that we've made. That's exactly what's happened to Abraham. I mean, you get this lapse of 23 years and you think he's on a roll. He's one of the greatest men of faith ever. He's called the father of faith. And then he goes down in chapter 20 and he does exactly like, like he did when, 23 years ago when we were in chapter number 12. Now, not only are we going to learn that great men of God make mistakes over and over again too, just like we do. We're going to learn about where's God at in these mistakes. 
I mean, where, what happens when we're facing some, going around some mountain again and again and again? Where is God in all of that? Well, let me tell you what. Some of the, some of the things we're going to learn about this. First of all, God is in that trial. And that trial, in that trial, he is disciplining his children. So he's going to allow you to make those mistakes over and over again until you learn your lesson, to, until you learn to trust him. And, 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 and it is the discipline of God. It is the loving hand of God that you're going around that mountain again. So sometimes when you get, you say, oh, no, here I'm going around that same mountain again. You know, why is this? Well, one of the things you know that, well, for sure you know that it's the discipline of God. If you're a child of God, it's the discipline of God. The second thing you're going to see here is that in that trial, God protects his own. He's not going to let you you fail too much there. He's not going to let you destroy yourself in that trial. He's going to protect you through that trial. And you know what? You're going to see it here in chapter 20. He might even bless you during that trial. Even though you've made a great mistake, you've fallen and you're going around the same old mountain again, he might take that situation and, and turn it into a blessing. Isn't that what the Bible says? That all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And let me tell you what else you're going to see in this trial. And if you compare it to chapter 12, and we're not going to go back and do go through, all through 12 again because the stories are so similar. But you're going to see the providence of God, even in our repeated mistakes. That God somehow allows us to make mistakes. Sometimes I think he even orchestrates our mistakes, puts us in situations he knows what we're going to do. We're going to make that mistake all over again. So in essence, he's orchestrating that mistake in order to teach us to trust him. So let's, let's look at this story, if you will. Go with me to chapter 20 of Genesis, and, and let's, uh, with all of that introduction in mind, let's look at verse number 1. Verse number 1. And, now we know from that and, that this is connected to the last passage in chapter 19, when Abraham was up on the mountains of he- mountaintops of Hebron, and he was at that place, and he was watching Sodom, Gomorrah being destroyed. He was watching the smoke go up, and he was afraid. And he realized he was afraid for his livelihood. And so uh, he, he just packs up, said, we got to get out of here. He might have been even afraid that, that, that Hebron was going to be judged. And so so he journeyed, and Abraham journeyed from there to the south. Now, that south literally is the word Negev. And I've told you before, if you look at a map of Israel, it's that bottom triangle, the bottom half of Israel. It's mainly desert. And he heads south on the Negev and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Uh, that's actually the same area, and this is kind of a apropos here, that it's the same area where the Israelites spent most of their time during the Exodus circling that mountain. So he's going down to, 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 to go around the mountain again in the same area where the Israelites went around and around and around and around the mountain over and over again. So they didn't learn from Father Abraham later on when they, when they, when they get their chance to go around the mountain. And, and he journeys south and uh, uh, he had heard about this prosperity in Gerar. Uh, he knew about this highway, and, and uh, he figured, hey, it's, it, it'll serve me well to, to, to get close, you know, to, to, to go down to Gerar and, and take my livestock and, and, and do business down there, find a place to graze my cattle and do business down there. And he's, 
And I think in his mind, he said, you know what? I learned my lesson. One thing I'm not going to do, I'm not going down to Egypt. But here's the lesson for us. Sometimes going down close to Egypt can get you into the same trouble that going down to Egypt gets you into. You play with fire, what's going to happen? You're going to get burnt. Now, we, when, I mentioned this when we were in chapter 12. Whenever you see Egypt, just stop. Whenever you see a passage about Egypt in the Bible, Egypt is always a type of the world, the type of the world for the believer, the world that we came out of when we were born again. When you came, when you were born again, you separated yourself God separated you to some degree, but you separated yourself from the world. And so it's a very dangerous thing to start drifting back into the world, drifting back into that old life you used to live before you were saved. And, 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 and some people don't go all the way back into it. They don't go all the way back down to Egypt, but they kind of hang around close to that old life they used to live. And the problems are exactly the same. The same bad things that happened to Abraham when he was uh, down in Egypt are going to happen to him. Uh, we're going to see here in just a minute in this, this text. When we get close to Egypt, when we get close to going back to that old life we used to live, we're asking for trouble. Uh, when Abraham moved back towards Egypt without even consulting God, where was he heading? He was heading into the devil's territory. Uh, he was, he was, he, and he was endangering himself. He was endangering his family, and uh, he was most importantly risking and endangering the plan for his life, the great plan for his life, for his future and his future descendants that God had given him. Uh, so we're going to see the same things happen to him that happened when he was down in Egypt. So here's a lesson. Before you make any major decision in your life, you be sure that God has okayed that decision. That that decision fits within the will of God. Or you very well might be heading back towards Egypt and back into the devil's territory. And that's where Abraham was heading. Do you think maybe the devil had an interest in Abraham and Sarah? You better believe he did. Because after all, at this point, Sarah was either pregnant with the promised child or she was about to be pregnant with the promised child. And here he's putting her in danger. And and that promised child is the one from whom the nation of Israel would come forth. And more importantly, from that promised child would come the Messiah who would save the world from our sins. And so you better believe the devil wanted them to fall really hard. And he's, he's going to have a, some play in this, too, as he works in the, in the heart of Abimelech. Uh, God's going to overrule him, but, but he's going to do his best to see that that plan is destroyed. Now, verse number two. Now, Abraham said to his wife, Sarah, tell me this doesn't sound familiar. If you remember chapter 12 at all, she is my sister. And Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that exactly what happened? Pharaoh, Abraham told 
uh, Pharaoh that Sarah was his sister. Sarah agreed, uh, is compliant in all of this. She doesn't argue or doesn't say, hey, hey I'm not his sister. I'm, I'm his wife. She doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't object to it at all. And, and, and Bimelech does the same thing that Pharaoh did with Sarah. He takes Sarah into his harem. So this is proof positive that what happens in Egypt uh, happens near Egypt. Uh, that's exactly what happened to Abraham. Now, why would God let this situation get to this dangerous point? Why would he let it get so far? Well, I think one reason is to discipline. And when we talked about the word discipline there earlier, uh, Abraham and Sarah for their lack of faith. To remind them how little faith they really had, that their faith was a gift of God and it was the object of their faith that's going to save them, not their faith. Abraham was the father of faith, but man, at this point, you would have think after 23 years, all the miracles that he had seen uh, in his relationship with the Lord, you would think that he would be a great man of faith at this point. But he, but, but God's going to show him, you really have, the, you just got a, you just got a faith the size of a mustard seed. Now that's good faith if it's in Jesus Christ. But, that, but you don't have much faith. And, and, and to remind them that they really aren't as great a people as they might have been feeling like they were at that point. Hey, after all, we're going we're gonna to bring forth this nation. We're going to bring forth the Messiah. You know, we must be pretty good people. We must be pretty important people. God's going to show up just how depraved they still are outside of his grace. And, and, and so he's going to let them get this far and let them fall to teach them some lessons. And, and I, I just can't imagine. I mean, here's his wife carrying the child of, who's going to be in the line of the Messiah going to bring forth the nation of Israel, going to bring forth his son. He wanted a son more than anything in the world. And he's thrown all of that away. And now there she is in order to save his life and maybe to save her life. And she's there in the harem of Abimelech, one of his prized thoroughbred women, to do with as he pleased. Now you talk about a tough fall. That had to be a tough fall. You know, we get to thinking we're pretty spiritual sometimes. We're pretty good people sometimes. And we're doing pretty good in this Christian walk sometimes. And God just lets us alone for just a little bit. And the true us comes out, the us without Christ. And we fall. And we're prone to fall. And so this, I mean, Abraham had to be feeling like a pretty, I mean, he felt like a strong man before this happened, but now he's got to feel like a really weak man. And he had to be pretty despondent because he sees all of God's great plans for his life. They're all going up in smoke. It's all over. He's blown it all. Abimelech has taken his wife, his pregnant wife with the promised child, and he's left alone in his tent to ponder his helplessness and his wretchedness. And i got to believe, just like Paul, he cried out, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? You know, a lot of our travel around the mountains, over and over and over again, 
because comes because God allows it. Because he wants to remind us of how weak we are without his grace. That the strength that we have, the goodness we have, the righteousness that we have, the blessings that we have, the future that we have, the hope that we have, all come by his grace. We can't produce any of those. The good works that we do all come through his grace. And I think he does that. And I know he does that in my life. The main reason is to keep me from looking down on other people. God is going to, if you start looking down on other people and judging other people, I'm going to tell you what, you're going to go around the mountain again. You're going to fall. Judge not lest ye be judged. And one of the way God judges us is to hit us hard, to hit us in love. And cause us to fall and fall before that same mountain we've been going around before over and over and over again. And we're going to keep going around that mountain if we're looking down on other people. We're going to keep going around that mountain if we're making our decisions outside the will of the Lord. If we're going to keep going around the mountain if we're not trusting the Lord and not trusting in ourselves. If we're not honoring the Lord and glorifying the Lord and not glorifying ourselves. You glorify yourself. And look down on others. That is a recipe for some travel around the mountain. That same old mountain. Now, I'm not going to name the mountains. You know the mountains you face in your life. They somehow just keep coming up and up and up and up. And you can't seem to. They, they always seem to, seem to be popping up. But we want to come off. We want to come away from that mountain. We want to conquer mountains and not go around mountains. The great news is this. If you're a believer. Remember, we looked in Psalms 145 last week. Let me just read you that one line we looked at last week. The Lord's, the Lord's tender mercies are over all his works, including his discipline. His tender mercies are over all his works. That's why the Bible says we're not going to face a trial that we can't withstand. We're going to hurt in those trials. The Bible doesn't say you're not going to hurt. You're not going to feel pain. You're not going to be despondent. You're not going to wish you weren't in it. But you're going to be able to withstand it because of the grace of the Lord. That's why we know, looking at this story, that God is not going to leave Abraham and Sarah in this predicament. He's going to protect them. Remember, in the midst of these trials, in the midst of going around these mountains, God is going to protect us. He's going to protect them, and he's going to rescue them. Look at verse number three. But, there's one of those good buts in the Bible. We looked at the bad but last week. Here's a good but. But, God came to Abimelech. How did he come to Abimelech? He came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife but God came God came to rescue Abraham and Sarah just like he'll come to rescue you when you're facing some major trial he came in the form of a dream to Abimelech at night and the Lord says to him sounds like a line right out of a Clint Eastwood movie you're a dead man You're as good as dead. 
You took another man's wife and you were wrong in doing so. Then in verse number four, he says, but Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, there was a reason he didn't come near her. God had closed all the wombs of all the women in all his kingdom at this point. We know that from verse 18. He would have come nearer if he had gotten a chance. But there was this strange plague going on that God had brought upon the, all the people there so that he could not have relations with uh, Sarah. But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous man? Lord, would you slay an innocent king and his nation? Uh, after all, look at verse number five. Uh, did he, Abraham, not say to me, she is my sister? I mean, he gave her to me. He was complying in this. And she was complying in it. This is really strange stuff uh, that, that they would even do this. And she even herself said, he is my brother. She liked, I'm telling you, Sarah liked this attention she was getting from this king. She liked it when she was down in Egypt. She didn't complain at all. This is a weird situation. I mean, she would have blown it and Abraham would have blown it. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hand, I have done this. Now, there was nothing innocent about Abimelech. I mean, it's not right to take a man's wife under any circumstances, a man's woman under any circumstances. So, I mean, his practice of taking women off the street that he thought were beautiful and putting them into his harem was evil. But in his defense, he had been lied to. And so in verse 6 it says, And God said to him, I'm not, is it verse 6 we're on? And God said to him in a dream, yes, yeah, okay, yes. Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. You would have touched her if I hadn't stopped you. But I didn't let you touch her. Yes, you were lied to. And in your heart, you felt justified in taking her into your harem. But the only reason you didn't touch her and you're dead now is that I stopped you by closing up all the wombs of the women in the land. And I'm going to give you a way out of this mess, Abimelech. And so he tells him the way out in verse number 7. He says, now therefore restore the man's wife, for he, this is amazing here, for he is a prophet. Now if you had asked Abraham at that point, Abraham, are you a prophet? He would have said, no, I'm a failure. I am a big failure. I just gave my wife, my wife carrying the promised son. I gave it all away. I threw it all away because I was a big chicken. Because I got outside the will of God. But look how God sees Abraham. Lesson. The same way he sees you. You don't quit being a child of God. If you're a born again believer. When you're going around that mountain again. You're still his child. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. And he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you will surely die, you and your wife and your children, and your whole kingdom will perish. Abraham was some prophet, wasn't he? I mean, he's doing the same thing he did 23, the same stupid thing he did 23 years earlier. 
But he was a prophet by grace and by election. The same way you and I are saved, by grace and by election. I mean, it requires our faith. I certainly believe in that part of salvation. But faith comes from where? It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God even gives you your faith. And so you can blow it in life, but you can't blow it so bad that you annul the callings and elections of God. I mean, the, for the callings and gifts of God are irrevocable, Paul says in Romans chapter 11. They're irrevocable. They, they, he doesn't call you, call, take them back. That's why you can't lose your salvation. You've been called into the kingdom of God. You're going to make it into the kingdom of God. You've been, you've been gifted as a prophet like Abraham. You're going to stay a prophet till you die. Samson was a prophet in all those terrible times when he was hanging out with Delilah and doing all those terrible things he was doing. Did he, was he ever less of a prophet in God's eyes? No. And he ended up doing exactly what God had called him to do. He, he, he destroyed the Philistines, or at least uh, brought down a portion of the Philistine people. That was what he was called to do, and he fulfilled his calling because the callings and elections of God are irrevocable. So when you're going around that mountain, and like Abraham was at this point, and it seemed like he had blown it all and there's no chance for any, any restoration, remember that the callings and elections of God are for sure. If God's called you to do something, if he's gifted you to do something, in the end, you're going to finish it. If he hadn't called you or gifted you, none of this applies. But he was called a prophet, and he was a prophet. And i got to tell you, nobody needed a prophet more at this point than Abimelech himself. Abimelech. My father is king. That's what the word Abimelech means. He says he's, I mean, he... The Lord says, hey, get this prophet to pray for you. And the good thing he had a prophet around or he would have been dead. Look, let's look at what happens next in verse, beginning in verse number 8. So Abimelech rose early in the morning. He called all his servants and told all, his, all these things to the, their hearing. And the men were very much afraid because, hey, this was the Lord Almighty operating there now in their kingdom. And they were answering to him. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done? So he brings Abraham before him. What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? Now, obviously, Abimelech didn't force this. He didn't come grab him and and beat Abraham up because Abraham would have said, well, you, you beat me up. You tortured me. He didn't do any of that. He said, I want, I want your wife. And she said, okay. And, he, and Abraham said, okay. And out the window went God's plan for, for Abraham and Sarah. At least that's the way it looked. I mean, how, how have I offended you? I mean, Abimelech couldn't think of any way he had offended. He'd probably given him some gifts. That you have brought on me and on my kingdom this great sin. You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, why have you, what did you have in view that you have done this thing? I mean, what were you trying to accomplish? 
What profit was it to you to give me your wife and lie and tell me she's your sister? I got to ask. I'm sure God was asking the same question. Of course, God knew his heart. And how desperately wicked the heart is. And he knew Sarah's heart too. And so Abraham explains in verse number 11. And Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place. And it was a practice in those pagan kingdoms. If a man had a beautiful woman, a beautiful wife, for that king to take that wife and kill the man. He said, but because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will kill me on account of my wife. And, and uh, I mean, Abraham knew that Sarah, I mean, Sarah's almost 90 years old at this point. And, but she still was a bombshell. And 50 years earlier when they had left, or, or decades earlier when they had left Ur of Chaldea, they had set this plan in, into effect that, that hey, if, if we go to some strange kingdom in our journeys and they want to take you as, as, uh, as into their harem, just tell them, hey, you're, you're my sister and uh, I'll tell them that uh, you're my sister. And so that was the plan they had to, everywhere they went all right then it says in in verse 12 yeah but indeed she is truly my sister she is the daughter of my father but not the daughter of my mother so it's a half lie a half lie is a lie a half truth is a lie and it came to pass when God caused me now watch the negativity of this. This sounds a lot like Adam. You remember Adam when, when Eve uh, talked him into eating the fruit? He said, that woman you gave me. You know, she's the one that caused this problem that we're having right now. And now it's almost as if Abraham's going to turn this thing on God. He says, and it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my home. You know, n- nothing about when God called me into a great journey into a relationship with him and giving me giving me all sorts of wealth and all sorts of promises he doesn't say anything about that now he's in a pickle he's blaming God you ever do that I mean God calls you out and God calls you out of the 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 world that you've been living in into a new world of of a great life in Christ and uh, then all of a sudden things get tough and and you're saying well you know God caused me to be in this situation God's the one who did this to me. We forget all the good things that God's done for us. We just throw them right out the window. And that's what Abraham's doing here. And it came to pass when God caused me to wonder from my father's house that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me that in every place where we go, say to me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep. I mean, this is amazing here. He took sheep, ox, and male servants female servants, and gave them to Abraham, and he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Now, you talk about grace. Here's a guy totally outside the will of God, about to blow all the promises of God, 
And he came to Gerar looking for a place to, to herd his cattle, and he's going to find one. He's even going to get more, more cattle. He gave him and more female servants and more female servants. And so uh, here he is in this prosperous city. I mean, it's as if he's being rewarded for his bad behavior. He's not. I, I, I believe at this point, Abraham really had learned his lesson. I mean, he had taken such a hard fall. The first time it wasn't such a hard fall because he was pretty, still pretty much a pagan man when we looked at this story that took place some 23 years earlier. But now he's kind of up on a pedestal, a great man of faith, and then now all of a sudden he's taken this, this, this really, really, really hard fall. But God blesses him anyway. Uh, he, he's going to end up in a pretty good position. That is the amazing grace of God. Not that we get what we deserve, but we get that undeserved favor of God, even the, in the midst of our failures. Then in verse number 16, then Sarah, he's, then to Sarah, now watch what he says to Sarah. This is, this is really, really interesting here. This is in Bimelech talking to Sarah. He says, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you. Literally, it's a covering of the eyes for you to all. That's literally what it means. In other words, I'm going to patch over this incident by giving you, your husband, a dowry of a thousand pieces pieces of silver to pay for any harm that I've done to you. Even though I haven't had sexual relationships with you, some people are going to say, I I did, and at least you can say, hey, we got paid well for this. That's what he's thinking in his mind. Uh, And and, uh, then it says, look at the last part of this. It says, it says, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus, she was rebuked. She was rebuked. God intended for her to be rebuked. How was she rebuked? By a pagan king who acted more nobly than she was acting. I get, I think Sarah liked the attention she got from this king. She liked being a part of the king's harem to some degree. I, and, and, and so God, through this pagan, rebukes her. I mean, I don't even think she protested. And, and you can, there are all sorts of reasons for that, to save her own life, to save the life. I mean, I don't think she would have died, but maybe to save the life of her husband because she loved Abraham so much. But it's, again, the Bible makes it clear that she, that she was rebuked and she deserved to be rebuked. Again, I, I don't want to read too much into that or speculate too much on that, but it is really a strange situation when a woman allows herself to go into a harem of a king. And her husband allows that to happen. And that doesn't even factor in the fact that she might have been pregnant, probably was pregnant with the promised child. And we finish it up in verses 17 and 18. So Abraham the prophet 
prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. Then they bore children again. For the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife, in order to protect Sarah. So Abraham finished his trip around that same mountain again. He finished that trip. That trip was the discipline of God. But while he was making that trip around the mountain, he was protected by God. And he, while he was making that trip around that mountain, he received the amazing grace of God. And no doubt that trip around the mountain was the providence of God. And I think God orchestrated this event or allowed this event to show Abraham just how weak his faith was. Given a crisis, he was going to crash. He was going to go back to his old ways, revert back to his old ways, and, and do the same old thing again. And so he, he allowed him to fall and to fall hard for the second purpose that he allowed this trial, this trip around the mountain, to build his faith. First of all, to show him that he had very little faith. But more importantly, to build his faith. Now, I, no other incident like this is recorded again in the life of Abraham. So I believe he learned his lesson. I believe if, if it happened again, and if he hadn't learned his lesson, he would have gone around that mountain again. If it happened again, it would have been recorded for us again. If it happened the fourth time, it would have been recorded the fourth time. It, the fifth, the sixth, whatever. You read the story of the Israelites circling the mountain. It was recorded every time they went around it, it was recorded for us. And it would be recorded there. But I believe Abraham learned his lesson and he did build his faith. And he never went around that mountain again. And just two chapters from now, when we get to chapter 22, he's going to have the promised son. And his faith is going to be so great that he's going to be willing to take that son up in obedience to God and sacrifice that son. He's not going to do it, but he's going to be willing to do it. And that's because his faith at that point, he really truly is the father of faith. But God had another purpose. Why they were going around that mountain again. And I believe that purpose was to witness to Abimelech and the people in the kingdom of Gerar. Now, Abimelech didn't get saved because of Abraham's great good witness, he got saved in spite of Abraham's bad witness. And, but he got saved. In the next chapter, we're going to see Abimelech and, and uh, Abraham making this agreement, and Abimelech and Picol, the commander of the army of uh, Gerar, uh, are going to refer to the Lord as the everlasting God. I mean, how often do we see men of God, either failing or in victory, where God uses them in the process to witness to some pagan uh, king, some pagan, pagan dignitary who has an influence over a pagan kingdom, and somehow a group of people get saved. God is always working out salvation in all that he does. And so he had great purposes in, in Abraham's trip around the mountain the second time, just as he has purposes when you and I go around that mountain over and over again. What about you? 
First of all, to even answer this question, you've got to qualify as a child of God. Because if you're not a child of God, life is just a crapshoot. It's haphazard. You're doing your thing and keep keep doing it. I would advise you not to keep doing that. But, But turn to the Lord. But if you're a child of God, you know those mountains. I know the mountains in my life that keep popping up. That I have to go around and around and around and around until I learn to trust God. I mean, it might be some mountain of failure because, because you keep making decisions without trusting the Lord. Without seeking the Lord's guidance for those decisions. I, I, if you're a child of God, you can just bank on it. You make a decision that you, you do on your own. More than likely, you're going to end up in some kind of difficulty based upon that. Or it might be some fall that you take. This mountain where you fall, just like Abraham fell. Where you, where you, where you think you're walking pretty, uh, in a pretty good relationship with the Lord. Your faith is strong. And then all of a sudden you just, you just crash and burn. Because of some sin in your flesh that you can't conquer. Some sin in your flesh that keeps raising its ugly head and you keep going around that mountain over and over and over and over again. Let me tell you what, that's an issue of faith too. If you're trying to fix yourself, you're going to keep going around that mountain. Until you truly give that sin over to the Lord and you let him fix it, you're going to go around that mountain from now on, until you're ready to trust the Lord and, and, and give him that, that sin and let him have victory in your life. Here's the danger. Here's the danger I want you to see. If you're going around a mountain and you never stop, And you keep going around that mountain and around that mountain and around that mountain and around that mountain and it never stops. Here's the danger. That you're like the Israelites in the wilderness who went around that mountain for 40 years and never stopped. And they perished because they refused to believe. Because they refused to trust the Lord. And they didn't just perish. You can read the little book of Jude. They met the same fate that Sodom and Gomorrah met. They met the same fate that the angels who rebelled against God met. So that indicates that they wound up in Hades. So if there's never a victory... And those mountains keep repeating themselves. And you refuse to trust the Lord. There's an indicator there that you really never have trusted the Lord. And until you were really ready to throw your life. Give your life to the Lord. To throw yourself at the feet of the Lord and give your life to the Lord. You, you could call yourself a Christian 
And God will keep you going around that mountain just like he did the Israelites, hoping one day that you'll truly trust him. But unless you do, you're not a believer. And your fate is the same as those in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, an interesting story. Abraham left Hebron, the mountaintop of Hebron. And he went down and left there and went down into the wilderness to circle that mountain all over again. And as far as we know, Abraham never made it back to Hebron. And Hebron kind of got overrun by the Canaanites. And then we know that the Anakim came in and took the area of Hebron. 600 years later, there was this old man named Caleb. And he had circled Mount Horeb for 40 years with the Israelites, even though it wasn't his doing. He trusted the Lord. But when they finally crossed over in the Jordan, he came to Joshua and he said, Joshua, I'm 85 years old. This was actually five years after they'd crossed over. He said, I'm 85 years old. And I circled that mountain for 40 years. And God promised us one day that when we quit circling the mountain and we went into the promised land, that wherever our feet touched, we could claim that land in victory. And he says, I want Hebron where the Anakim are. And he went up to Hebron and he conquered those great giants. Now, let me ask you a question. What's more pleasing in the eyes of the Lord? For us to be circling mountains around and around and around over and over and over again? Or for us to be conquering mountains? You know, Abraham circled that mountain twice, and I believe after that point he went out and he conquered mountains. A man like Caleb, he conquered mountains. That's who God wants us to be. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. But you can only be a conqueror when you really, truly trust the Lord in every area of your life. That's what makes us victorious Christians. And if you're not a victorious Christian, you're a mountain circler. And if you're circling the mountain forever, you're lost. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us, the great pictures that you paint through these stories and and the Pentateuch here that we're looking at. And I I just thank you for the story of Abraham and just what application there is for all of us who face these mountains that we seem to circle over and over and over and over again. Lord, it's time that we get victory over these mountains, that we become more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Lord, we can only do that by faith, by real faith, faith that uh, penetrates, permeates every aspect of our souls and our lives, our decisions, everything we do. We walk by faith. 
Lord, that seems lofty, but it's very practical. Father, if there's anyone here in this room that, 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 that doesn't know Christ, that's still circling those mountains of defeat forever, it seems, Lord, let today be the day that they truly receive the gift that Christ offers and turn to him and become more than conquerors in you, Lord. We just thank you for your goodness. It's in Christ's name I pray.